All right, guys, good morning. If we can, let's open up our Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. Today we'll be looking at verses 10 to 24 in the church Bibles. It is page 972. Also, for our kids, you guys are dismissed to our children's ministry. Always a joy to have you guys with us in our worship time. Once again, Galatians chapter 1, verses 10 to 24. Once again, in the church Bibles, it is page 972. Uh, my name is Kenson. I have the honor of being a pastor at Park, specifically our Bridgeport location. Look forward to having you guys join us on October 7th when we move into the Zalby Arts Center. Uh, it'll be nice to have you guys all with us. It'll be a very exciting Sunday, and then the very next Sunday, I'll be like, where did everyone go? You know, they all, they all, just, they all just left here. But we would love to have you guys come and join us and, and worship our, our Lord and Savior together. Also as well, too, if I can say just how exciting it is for you guys to be moving to two services. Now, I understand, as Brave said here, there are a lot of logistics and a lot of challenges that come with that. But you guys have to understand that there are many churches in America right now that are not growing. You guys are growing. And you guys have been growing for many, many months now. So this is God's kind gift of what he's doing here, the favor that he's giving you guys in the neighborhood. And I'm just so excited that as you guys move to two services, what will happen is that it will create more open seats. Man, and who knows who God is going to bring. Who is God going to bring to hear the good news of Jesus Christ? That's what's so exciting about moving to two services. So with that, let's go ahead and look at Galatians chapter 1, verses 10 to 24. Uh, let me read our verses, and then we'll jump in, all right? So Galatians 1 Starting at verse 10, page 972 in the church Bibles. Paul is speaking. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James and the Lord's, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Sicilia, they were, and I was still unknown in person to the churches in Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. This is the word of God. You know, this past Monday, uh, I celebrated my wife's birthday by going to the Bears game versus the Seahawks. That was a, that was a great game, by the way. Really, really good game. Really excited. Now, as we're walking to Soldier Field, we come to a corner and we have this guy who's holding this enormous banner telling people to turn to Jesus. So let me just show you. I took a really quick picture as I was walking. I don't want to be too creepy, but I took a picture. He kind of looks like Chris Pratt a little bit, okay? Now when, when now, when my wife and I first see it, you know, we appreciate the courage and the message here. So my wife and I, we, we walk towards this guy and just say, hey, man, you know, really appreciate what you're doing, you know, just... You know, keep it up. This, this isn't easy. And he starts handing tracks to us, telling us to take one. 
And my wife and I are like, no, we're good. We're, we're on the same team. We're, we're okay. We're on the same team. And the next thing you know, he starts to verbally attack us. He says that your arrogance is keeping you from reading this. You are prideful. You are arrogant. Whoa, that, that is not cool. Not cool at all. And as my wife and I are walking to Soldier Field, I just start to notice that as I'm walking and I look at the floor, litter across the entire floor were the tracks these guys were handing out. Now, I had a chance to look at these tracks. They had some Bible verses in them, some good truth. There was actually nothing heretical about them. But because these guys were so graceless, no one cared about what they had to say. People were literally walking on the very message that was meant to give them eternal life. When it comes to the gospel, the way we live has a way of impacting how people receive it. Our lives can bring credibility to the gospel of grace. You know, today we continue back in our sermon series in the book of Galatians. And now Apostle Paul is writing to the churches in Galatia that he planted on his second missionary journey. And these would have been young churches, growing churches, but they were also vulnerable churches. In verse 7, there's these false teachers called Judaizers distorting the gospel. And what they're doing here is that they're adding a few things here and there. They're teaching that, hey, you know, you guys can have Jesus, right? They're not rejecting Jesus. They're not doing that. But they're saying that you can have Jesus, but if you really want to be a full Christian, you should also be Jewish. Follow the law, get circumcised, become kosher, and when you do this, and when you become Jewish, you know, by tradition and culture, you'll be more acceptable, more worthy, more loved by God. So Paul here confronts this works-based heresy and condemns those who teach it. He says in, he says in verses 8 and 9 that let them who teach this be cursed. And Rafe said this so well last week, and only he can say this and get away with it. Paul tells them to go to hell because this is a message from the depths. Yes, he said that. If you missed last week, it was like fire and brimstone the whole sermon, okay? He, because that message was from the depths of hell. To add or subtract anything from the gospel is not to believe the gospel at all. At all. And as you guys can imagine, this did not make Paul popular with the Judaizers. And this sets up our verses for today. Because these Judaizers, they retaliate. And they do this by attacking Paul's character and calling because they know that if they can undermine Paul and his apostleship, they can undermine the message of grace that he's been preaching and teaching. So these Judaizers now are going around these churches and saying, Paul, he's a fraud, he's a wannabe apostle, he's not the real deal. So Paul, in our verses, defends himself in order to defend the gospel. Uh, verse 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brothers, talking to the churches in Galatia, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. A qualification to be an apostle was to be someone directly discipled by Jesus. Now, what makes this weird for Paul is that by the time Paul comes into the storyline of Jesus, Jesus is already resurrected and ascended, Yet for Paul, Jesus appears to him. In Acts chapter 9, on the road to Damascus, Paul, then Saul, is directly confronted by Jesus. Let me just show you the verses here in Acts 9. 
Now as he, Paul here, went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Paul claims apostleship because he did encounter Jesus, and on top of that, he was discipled by Jesus. This is why when you look at verses 16 to 22, he gives his travel itinerary of what happens right after he converts. That he wants the church to know that I spent years mostly hidden and unknown, learning the gospel from his quiet time and solitude with Jesus. This is why Paul can speak with the same authority as all the other apostles, because he is speaking the words of Jesus Christ. He has been commissioned by Jesus. But here's the thing. Paul, how do we know any of this is true? How do we know that the message of grace that you're preaching and teaching and writing about is from Jesus? Paul defends this gospel with the testimony of his life. Verses 11 and 12. See the argument here. I did not receive from man, but from Jesus. Well, how do we know, Paul? Verses 13 and 17, look at my transformed life. If you have a hard time trusting my words, trust my changed life. Now, I do want to be clear here. Paul's life here does not make the gospel more true or less true. Okay? Our lives have no bearing on the power, purity, and promises of God's word. Because the word alone is sufficient, the word alone is effective, the word alone is unchanging because it is God's word. What's at stake here is whether or not Paul's life will give credibility to the gospel. Will his life, will our lives affirm the message of grace or distract from it? Will it shine a light on it? or cast doubt on it. As Christ followers, one of the most powerful tools we have for the kingdom is our story. Because it is, isn't it so true that before many of us came to be drawn to Christ, we were first drawn to a life that was completely different from ours. That from the outside, yeah, you know, they, they, they looked like us. They didn't look any different. You know, they wore the same clothes, went to the same school, went to the, lived in the same neighbor, neighborhood. We had the same skin color. Yet their lives were radically different from the inside. That when we saw their lives, it made us take notice of the gospel. That when we saw their lives, it made us think, maybe, maybe I can have that too. Our transformed lives can give credibility to the gospel of grace. You know, so with that, let's go ahead and see what Paul says here and how it can help us to live a gospel credible life. And here are three points if you guys like to take notes. The three points are this. First, the need, Paul's need for grace. Second, the pursuit of grace in Paul's life. And finally, Paul's new life through grace. So here's the first point, the need for grace. We see this in verses 13 and 14. He says this again. For ye have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. So Paul starts here by defending the gospel of grace by confessing his sins. And he has a lot to confess. 
Paul, first known as Saul, was at the top of his class. He studied under one of the greatest Jewish teachers during that time, and he was passionate about his beliefs in Judaism, so much so that he attacked and murdered Christians, that he hated Jesus and he hated the message of grace that was being preached. So he went on the hunt. And let me just show you a couple of verses that highlight this. In Acts 8.3, it says this, Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 2 says this, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. Basically, he's asking permission to go past his borders to stay on the hunt. So if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. When Paul says here that he violently attacked the church and he tried to destroy, he is not using a figure of speech. He's not using hyperbole here. He is stating reality. If the Christians were Avengers here, Paul would be Thanos here. That's who he would be. So Paul, right now, all the nerds here, you totally get that, right? Okay. Paul confesses all of this. Now, how in the world does this bring any level of credibility to the gospel of grace? When we confess our sinfulness, we are admitting our need for grace. Because as we grow in spiritual maturity, we will grow in our awareness of God's holiness, which in turn will help us become more aware of how dark and wicked we are, which in turn will tell us that God's grace in Jesus was not cheap, but deeply precious. And what that means is that we don't hide or minimize our sin, but we let God use it so that it can show our need for him. Now, I'm not saying for you guys to go ahead and start airing out all your dirty laundry to everybody. You know, don't go on Facebook and say, hey, today after the sermon, I want to give you my top three sins in my life. That is not helpful. Don't do it, okay? When it comes to confession, context and relationship matter. For example, I'm not going to start confessing my sins at my son's two-year-old birthday party. I could try, but it would be a downer, right? I could try to do that. Nor am I going to meet a first-time visitor and just say, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and dump 10 years of baggage of my self-esteem issues and broken relationships on you. I'm not going to do that. Having the right context and trusted relationships is important. But let me just say this. If you see yourself often hiding your sin or minimizing you have a grace problem because you are still protecting your pride. This is why for some of us, we don't confess and repent the way we should or as often as we should. This is why sometimes we're disgusted when others screw up. How could they do that? What is wrong with them? But when we fall short, you know what? It wasn't that bad. You know, it, was, it was okay. Or when we hide our sin, we do so because we don't want to taint our reputation. We don't want people to think less of us. That is people-pleasing, not God-pleasing. Or when your sin does get exposed, you're sorrowful, you cry over it, not because of how it hurt God, but now because you're finally caught. Hiding sin, minimizing sin, brings no credibility to the gospel of grace. It makes grace cheap because you're living as though you don't need it. If you want to be a credible witness to the gospel of grace, it must always begin with us crying out. It must always begin with this radical admission that God, without you, I am nothing. You know, growing up, I admired my youth group leaders because they were men and women of God that God used to bring me to faith. 
And something that impressed me so much about them was how perfect their lives seemed to be. That all the years that I was in the youth ministry as a student, I never once heard them share about a struggle or confess their sins. And I thought to myself, man, this is exactly what it means to be a Christ follower. This is exactly what I want to be like. But here's the problem. My life was just racked with sin. And when it finally became time for me to become a youth, la youth leader later on, I was still disappointed in myself because I was still struggling with a ton of sin. And I kept thinking to myself, I'm such a failure. I'm such a letdown. You know, I, I let down my former youth workers. I'm, I'm nothing like them whatsoever. You know, years later, I had a chance to catch up with some of my old youth workers. And by this time, we were all adults, so we could all have some frank conversations. And as we were talking, I started to find out that they struggled a ton, a ton. They wrestled with anxiety, anger, pride, jealousy. And I asked them, why didn't you ever share that with any of us? Kenson, it's because we wanted to be good role models to you. We wanted to be good examples of Jesus to all of you. And I thought to myself, no, no, I don't need you to be Jesus for me. I already have Jesus. I needed you to show me what it meant to be broken before him. I needed you to show me what it meant to hunger for him. Uh, unknown to them, instead of making the gospel of grace something sweet, it became something to avoid. Because I thought in my head, you know what, the more I needed grace, the less Christian I was, the less perfect I was, the less good I was. This is anti-gospel. Because the gospel, we have to notice, is not something that we receive when we start our journey with Christ. It is the very path, it is the very course that we walk on. That when we grow in our faith in Christ, we don't grow wanting less of the cross. We grow wanting more of the cross. If you want to show off God's grace, we have to be vulnerable and show our need for it. Here's the second point I want to share with you guys. The pursuit of grace. You know, in verse 15, it has one of my favorite words in the entire Bible. It's the word but, okay? Now get your mind, head out of the gutters here, okay? But the word but here, right? Verse 15, look at this. But right? When he had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him amongst the Gentile. I love the word but because it means that God has made another way. That in grace, yes, we are exposed to our sin. We must admit our sin, but it's also in grace. God extends a gift, and that's the gift of his love. And he shows us this love by pursuing us to bring about our salvation. Notice here that in verses 13 to 14, Paul is the main actor. He's the one killing. He's the one destroying. But then in verses 15 to 17, it switches. God is now the main actor. God calls. God saves. God pursues. Paul realizes that there was nothing in his heart to want Jesus, but Jesus cut through the thickness and hardness of his heart to save him. If you are a Christ follower today, you are one because God was pleased to show off his grace in your life. That just like Paul, none of us saw God, none of us wanted God, none of us asked for God, yet we have a God who chose us before the creation of the world. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters to the glory of his grace. The only reason your heart is warm to Jesus is because his, his grace came running after us. In verse 24, Paul says, 
they glorified God because of me. Okay, Paul right now is not bragging. It's the complete opposite. What's happening here is that people could not believe the transformation of Paul's life. That this is so impossible. That this must be an act of God. This is why God was glorified. Because they realized that he alone was responsible for salvation. Let me just show you a helpful way to understand how this all works here. Let me just show you three circles here. And how we can understand salvation and works and grace here. For example, if our salvation is works-based, you know, what that would say about the cross is that it was unnecessary. Basically, we would say to God, God, you know what, it was nice for Jesus to live, suffer, and die, but I'm good, I got this. This posture gives us all the glory. Now, let's go ahead and move on to the second circle. Well, maybe it's half and half. A little bit of grace here, a little bit of works here. And this, by the way, is what the Judaizers were teaching. That Jesus, he's good. He's important. He, he is necessary. But you know what? You, I also need to do my part. I still need to make up the difference. When we do this, what we're saying about Christ's work is that it's disappointing. That when Jesus said that it was finished, he really didn't mean it. So in this case here, Jesus, he gets some glory, but I also get some glory as well too. But here's the third way, the gospel way. It's when our salvation is by grace alone. That when the only work that mattered was Christ's work, when the only achievement that mattered was his achievement, and when this is the case, guess who gets all the glory? Jesus gets all the glory. Now, how can this bring credibility to the gospel? It will make us be quick to be grateful to him. Because if God is good enough to receive glory and his grace in our salvation, he is for sure good enough to receive glory in, his, in the grace he gives us for the minute to minute. That as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink, do it for the glory of God. Do you believe that the mercies that you received this morning are from God? That is his grace. Do you believe that the breath that you have in this very moment is from him? That is grace. Do you believe that when you say grace for the meal that you're about to have today, that you're really receiving grace? You are receiving grace. Do you believe that the reason you got to church here today was because of God? That is grace. Do you believe that waiting in line at Target or at Starbucks is more than you deserve? That is grace. When we are able to see God is the primary actor and pursuer for all of our lives, our lives will be marked with gratitude. But this is more difficult than it sounds because we live in a culture that believes deeply that my effort, my wealth, my upbringing is what gives me what I have. It's who makes me who I am. This is why we're so condemning and judgmental and impatient towards others because we're not viewing our lives through grace but through works. This is why for Paul, he could be super religious, the top of his class in knowing and following the law, and yet be the most ruthless killer of Christians. It's because his life was rooted in works. And it wasn't until grace pursued him and won him over that he stopped taking the lives of others and began to offer up his own life. Let me show you Romans 9.3, what he says here. He says, For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ 
for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. If Paul could make the choice, he would take on hell so others would know Jesus. Paul knows what hell is. He knows the horrors of it. And he says here that if I had the choice, if I could sacrifice myself for someone else to know Jesus, I would do this. How could Paul say this? It's because he knew that there was a Savior who gave up his life to save him. Paul's willingness, willingness to sacrifice was a grateful response to the grace of his Savior in his life. This brings credibility to the gospel. And the final point is this, new life through grace. Paul's past is horrifying and it would scare any of us. Hey, just think about this. You know, imagine that today Paul decided to join you in small group. And as you guys go around in small group and you start sharing your testimonies, you say, hey, Paul, you know, you're a first-time visitor here today. Why don't you go ahead and just share your story with us? Well, guys, I just want you guys to know that, um, you know, I murdered people. And you're, you know, being very compassionate, saying, oh, you know what, you know, you know me too, me too. I I've had evil thoughts and grudges. You know, I've murdered people in my heart like Jesus said I have, right? And Paul's like, no, 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 you don't understand. I've really killed people. I've killed men, women, children, families. I've put them in prison. And when you hear that, what are you going to do? Are you going to be like, oh, that's nice. No, you're going to be looking for the quickest way out. You're like, you know, I need to go out. Or if Paul decides to show up and say, hey, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and serve in the children's ministry. How many parents are going to be like, yay, that sounds great. He looks like a really good guy. No way, right? No way. This is what I'm trying to get at. Many of us would consider Paul to be done. He's just done. If anyone is beyond hope, this is the guy. You don't come back from sins like that. Yet for Paul, his greatest impact, his greatest ministry was still yet to come. By God's grace, Paul's life was not over. He was not done, but he was given a new life. In verse 13, Paul says, you have heard about my former life. This is who I used to be, but I'm not this anymore. Christ has forgiven and freed me. Many of us in this room today look at your past and you think, why would Christ want to do anything with me? Jesus can't love me. Friends, when Paul says that he was once a murderer, he takes every right away from you to ever say that I'm beyond hope, that God can't save me. Because Paul did not believe that. He rested in the works and promises of Jesus. Now, Paul here is not making light of his sin. He's not minimizing his sin. He's not disregarding the hurt that he's done. What he isn't doing is letting it take a hold of him. Instead, he is letting Christ take a hold of him. Verse 15, but when he who had set me apart before I was born. What this verse tells us is that before Paul was even a twinkle in his parents' eyes, God already had a plan for him. Paul had intent, he had mission, he had purpose. That his past, his shame, his sin, his regrets were not the end because God, the author of his story, was not done yet. Some of you feel that, you know what, I've made a train wreck of my life. And you think, Kenson, you know, thank you so much for this nice message on God's grace today. But you don't know what I've done. You're right. I have no idea what you've done. But do you know who does know? God knows all that you've done and knows it even better than you. And yet... You are still here today, alive 
and breathing, sitting at church, hearing about a message of God's grace. Coincidence? Or maybe, maybe God's not done with you yet. Maybe he's not done with you yet. Grace is the hope that you don't have to leave the same way you came in. It's the hope that says our mistakes are no match for God's grace. You know, my wife and I just celebrated our 15-year wedding anniversary. Yes, we got married when we were uh, 10 years old, okay? Uh, for me, she's the only person I've ever dated, and, and I married her. And when you guys hear that, that sounds so super romantic, but you have to know I, tr I really tried hard, okay? I really tried hard, but no one else is interested. And when she was, I was like, I just got to seal the deal right now. I just got to <laughs> settle this right now, okay? Okay, can't take any more chances here. For my wife, though, her story is a little bit different than mine, and there are things about her past that she would openly admit, and I have her permission to share this, where she isn't crazy about it. And I remember the, the first time that we talked about these things, you know, she started sharing about them, and then she also gave this reflection. You know, Kenson, I wouldn't change a thing because these were the very things that God used to make me the person I am today. It led me to you, which is very sweet. But most importantly, she said, it led me to Jesus Christ. God's grace gives us an unshakable hope because it gives us an unshakable new life in Christ. Now, how does this apply to us? It's in this way. We need to let others see this new life that we have in Christ. You know, when Paul first becomes a Christian, he wasn't first known as a great communicator or preacher or a church planter or a powerful theological writer as we see him today. He was first known as a transformed person. Verse 22 and 23, And I, Paul, was still unknown in person to the churches in Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. As Christ followers, we all have a story to tell and to show. That it's a story that starts with, I used to be, and it's a story that ends with, but I am now. That I used to be filled with guilt, but in Christ I am now free. I used to hate myself, but in Christ now I am more loved than I can ever imagine. I used to be arrogant and selfish, but in Christ now I am a servant to all. I used to be fearful, but now in Christ I am bold and courageous. I used to be a persecutor of Christians, but now I am a pastor of Christians. We all have this story to tell. Friends, are we letting people close enough into our lives to see it and to hear it? If I can encourage you guys, if you guys are in a small group, start this week. Just go around in a circle and fill in the blanks. I used to be blank, but now I am this. The family, the friends, the coworkers that you see every single day, let, this, let them know this story. If I can just say, many people today will find it super easy to ignore and even reject God's truth when it's shared, but it is much harder to ignore and reject a changed and transformed life. Church, will you let your transformed life be the most compelling defense for the gospel of grace? Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me just pray for us. Father God, we thank you that when it comes to your grace, that it is not just words, it's not just well sayings, but that God, that your grace has power 
and promise to change us, to change any of us. So God, I pray that for us as a church, God, as Christ followers, that Father, that we would not be people that would hide our need for grace, but that God, that we would proclaim it, that Father, that we would show it, that we would show it in the hills and also in the valleys of our lives. God, we thank you that God, that when Jesus came, it says that he came grace upon grace because he knew that we needed it. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.